will you excuse me the moment? I'm just writing to my wife the word wine. Wine. <laughs> That's Fetch a very important wine. thing to do. There you go. Indeed it is, indeed um, it is. Could you send her our way as well, please? Uh, there'll be a, liver, a delivery in just a moment. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, I, I spoke over you. You were saying about, yeah. Uh, who did you speak over? I can't remember now. I can't remember. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was looking at the wine list. <laughs> we all got overexcited, yes. Most important, please. Uh, uh, thank you, Hives. What is she doing back there? <laughs> I was. <laughs> Hello, Mrs. Kevin McNally's wife. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, darling. That's very kind of you. Makes me think of the Hancock thing. Higgins, Higgins, get another sturgeon. <laughs> A good deal lovelier than Miss Pew as well, I Indeed. think. Indeed. Say hello, Phil. Go and say hello. I, I border with Hancock for 30 years, and um, but maybe she'll forgive me now. Our spouses feel the same. <laughs> hello. 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 How are you? you? She's, she's been in a submerged aeroplane all day making a horror film. So, um, in a tank. Yeah. That's oh, right. Like a bag of, I wouldn't say. Careful with the words. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hope you're having a nice time. We certainly are. You no, look very good. lovely for a plane crash victim. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, darling. All right. This isn't the BBC Light programme. The Tony Hancock Appreciation Society presents ooh, very nearly an armful, a Tony Hancock podcast. Hello and welcome to Very Nearly an Armful, brought to you by the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society. On the show, we'll be discussing Tony's famous series, Hancock's Half Hour. One second. That's not on the script. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we've got Nick along and he's already ad-libbing. I mean, yeah, what, yeah. what's he like? What's he like, yeah, yeah. We'll discuss the show, its production and what we liked about it. We rate and review the episode and just generally get our geek on about vintage comedy. We're your hosts. I'm not James Griffith. I'm Martin Gibbons. I'm John Street. And I'm Tim Elms. We're spread across the south of the UK in a line from Essex to Essex, all the way via Kent. And our members are spread all over the world. We have members as far afield as Ellen in Aberdeenshire, Barry in Availa Gamorgan and Belfast in County Antrim. And in this podcast, we'll be discussing The New Neighbour. This was originally a radio episode from Series 3 in 1955. Uh, the Golden Simpson adapted for the second TV series about 18 months later. Being lost episodes, we couldn't see the originals. But we uh, look at the excellent Missing Hancocks and Lost Sitcoms remakes of both versions. We also have the great pleasure of talking to their star, our very own special guest, Kevin McNally. And uh, in place of James this week, who's indisposed, we have Nick West, who is taking over the uh, the magazine design and layout. Yes, I'm significantly less disposed of than James this week, and I'll be doing my very best to um, fill in for him in between my busy schedule of probably sitting up on the sofa with my feet up watching this episode in particular downstairs while you record, my love. Indeed. But first of all, chaps... What's everyone been up to this week? I've had quite an interesting week this week. I've been watching the first recordings from the ATV 63 series, uh, the recordings from the films that uh, Kaleidoscope have transferred. Uh, I've been watching those 
to have a look to the spot if there's any improvements or restoration that's needed uh, before they go out on the DVD. And the first one of those has already come back with a lot of restoration work having been done and it looks brilliant. So the ATV series, which is out on DVD in the middle of July, if the rest of the episodes look as good as the first half of one that I have seen restored, it's going to be a really, really nice release. Mr. Hancock. The same, madam. Here to waft you away on a cloud of gay sophistication. Yes, but I... I suggest a drink. A drive, a bite at Alfredo's, a quick look in at the opera, then on to the White City Dogs, and if it's all the <laughs> Well, I'm sorry, but I'm afraid you've made a mistake. No, 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 no. Mr. Latash was quite clear I don't have to pay for anything. <laughs> I am not Miss Lonergan. Not Miss Lonergan? Then where is she? I cover! Hear the escort! <laughs> It should be fantastic. The picture quality is very good because they scan the film in high definition. So we're all looking forward to that. Although it is a standard definition DVD that comes out, but it'll be uh, looking its very best for uh, those who wish to purchase it. I normally like to sit down and watch TV in the evenings, but I, I had a bit of a problem recently because my wife and I were sitting down to watch a very enjoyable episode of Dad's Army and the TV packed up. You stupid boy. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, can you believe it? We had to sit there and have conversation. It was, it was terrible. Needless to say, we've been out TV shopping over the weekend to uh, buy something else. But there you go. So that, that, was, that was the excitement. Nice new cathode ray tube, black and white, 18-inch screen and everything, eh, Tim? Four, four, two, five lines, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, if you've gone for a screen that's bigger than eight inches, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got in there first. <laughs> you did indeed. It's quite funny. So we've got this new TV with all the gadgets and smart TV and ultra-high definition. And the first thing I do is put a Hancock DVD on, you know, so... Quite right. <laughs> well, of course, yeah. Defeats the object in a way, but... Uh... <laughs> that little tale of even was sitting in the factory going, oh, I hope I go to someone with good taste. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> and then it ended up with you, of course, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> we do occasionally watch modern TV as well, so we will, we will get our money's worth out of it. I'm sure, I'm sure, in super high definition. Modern TV, so that would be the 1980s for you, would it, Tim? The <laughs> 70s. 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 <laughs> Tim's only just discovered colour on the telly. <laughs> Monty Python, The Good Life, Porridge, that's, that's what I call modern TV. Mm. <laughs> and it never got better. Actually, I was skimming through the channels the other night, and um, I know we've talked about it before, but the Lavender Hill mob was on again, on Talking Pictures or something, one of the channels, and I just I couldn't resist watching that once more. So uh, really loved that film. Oh, it's a good one, isn't it? The old uh, Lavender Hill mob. I've not watched it in years. I think it's one that Galton and Simpson had gone to see with Sid James, obviously, in the in the role. This is your first crime? Yes, Gov, I swear it. And I'll never go wrong no more. Suppose we asked you to do a job for us. I'll do it. That's all. I want a chance to turn an honest penny. Well, supposing it wasn't exactly an honest penny. Careful now, careful. We don't want anyone who's going straight. In any case, we need someone far bigger. Mm. Such as me? Who, Who are you? you? Take those things away. I'm not angry. Name a lackery wood, otherwise known as sort of Steve, the ones with boy. Two convictions for housebreaking, one for larceny of the person, total 18 months only and 10 years' work. There are some cuttings if you'd like to see them. That's where they um, they knew they'd seen Sid James in the film, but they didn't know what his name was, so they went back to see it again to catch the name. What they didn't realise, of course, at that time was that Sid and Hancock had already appeared in a film together, Orders Are Orders. Sid and Hancock actually knew each other. Gordon Simpson didn't know that at the time because they didn't know what this guy's name was. 
No, indeed. No, they shared a few scenes in that film, haven't they? Uh, although they, they were mm. largely separate characters. There's a couple of nice scenes yeah. there together, and they're yes. quite different yeah. roles as well for both of them. Yeah, Hancock got quite good reviews for Orders or Orders, although everyone agreed the film was... Uh, what was it Sid said, Martin? Sid, Sid gave a quote, didn't he? He said it was a stinker. That's right, it was a stinker. Is how he described it, and he was probably right. But Hancock's actual role as the bandmaster actually was praised Virtually all the press reviews you see at the time of, of the film actually praise Hancock for the little piece he did. Why haven't you gone away, Wilfred? It's the band. Must practice. I don't know what it is. Very worried about Corporal Johnson. Your big drummer? Yes, sir. The, the, big, the big drum seems to be too... Perhaps he's always been a bit bent. Would you like to come and listen to the band this afternoon? No, thank you. I've heard it. Oh. Do you only play the one piece? One piece? Loyal's Parade by Susan Smith is a piece I've chosen for the competition, and I like it. Yes, I can't quite remember the name of the character. It's something like Bumps Futtock, but it's not that. It's uh, bread, is it bread cake or something like that? Some unusual. So Hancock's name. role. Mm, in orders or orders. Uh, something like Cartwright, isn't it? Or Cartwright? Ah, that's it. It's, it's Cartwright. Cartold or something, isn't it? Or Cartors. Where did you get Bunt Funter from? <laughs> I don't know. The <laughs> wardrobes of my mind, in which there are many shirts hanging up. You've been watching the same film, John. I've been watching something with Spoonerisms in it, probably. It sounds about right to me. He was watching the 18-plus parody film, I think. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Sorry, I've just got Wilbert out to have a look. It's Lieutenant Cartroad. Cartroad, of course. Cartroad. Yes. And Sid James is Ed Wagamire. Perhaps we could help you, Mr. Wagamire. Mm. Maybe you could, fellas. Look, I'm shooting a movie. A great big 100% British picture. Cut off the propaganda. I'm shooting a movie and I want to feature all your enlisted men in it, see? And officers. And officers. Now, look, I know somebody's got to be fixed. Listen. Isn't that the name of a restaurant? That's Wagamama's. Very close. has cheaper food, but you probably won't like yourself the next day. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> So, Hancock News, um, there's no new news this week, but it's worth mentioning that on the Hancock 1963 DVD, which is due out, we say, earlier in uh, July, some of the extras have now been agreed, and six of the extras are, are the surviving audio soundtracks from Hancock's very last series for ATV, just called Hancock's, uh, set in a nightclub, where he stars with Joe Ritchie and June Whitfield, and... Audio recordings of all six episodes survive. I think five of them are virtually complete. One of them misses out um, some of the um, the singing spots on the show, but uh, those will, those six episodes are the audio episodes will be included on the DVD set. So that's uh, be a real a real plus for fans to be able to hear those. Uh, for most fans, that will be the first time. Thanks very much. Good evening, and welcome to Hancock's Place, the Inn Restaurant. This is my own personal reply to Swing in London. <laughs> God knows it needs it. <laughs> well, the restaurant game is a new departure for me, though I don't know, I've always been a bit of a raver. I have always been a bit of a raver. I think I can safely say that I have been the fulcrum of swinging London. Nay, the fulcrum. <laughs> Whatever that may be. <laughs> anyway, this is the new in place. We'll be raving every night till... Nine. <laughs> Saturday's 9.30. We should be getting all the top people in here, all the big personalities. It will indeed, it will indeed. I'm uh, 
just uh, got some files uh, to listen over and, and check which are the best quality ones and everything like that for the release. So that'll be uh, my weekend project, I imagine. Uh, that and a little bit of editing of this fella that we're recording this evening. And now for our main subject, and to welcome our lad himself, Kevin McNally. Kevin has appeared in legendary TV shows such as I, Claudius, Survivors, Doctor Who, twice in 1984 and 2021, Bottom, A Bit of Fry and Laurie, Shackleton, Life on Mars and The Crown, as well as starring alongside George Cole in the 90s sitcom Dad and recreating Captain Mannering in the Lost Dad's Army episodes. He also gave wonderful performances in the Pirates of the Caribbean film franchise, along with Johnny Depp, and alongside Rowan Atkinson in Johnny English. Uh, and uh, then finally, alongside the, the lovely Kenneth Branagh in Conspiracy, which is slightly less of a comedy. And we, of course, know him best for recreating the classic Lost Hancock's Half Hour episodes on radio from 2014 to 2019. So, Kevin, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, my pleasure to be here. Thank you. And our subject this evening is really looking at uh, the new neighbour, both of the Missing Hancock radio version and the television version. Yeah. But I wonder, Kevin, thinking back many years, do you recall when you first encountered Hancock's Half Hour? Yes, indeed. When I was, uh, I suppose, about nine, eight or nine or ten or something like that, I was too young to uh, transmissions of um, Hancock's Half Hour on the TV from the year of my birth, 56, until 1960. But during the, and forgetting the ATV one for a moment, my father was a huge fan of Tony Hancock. And I remember at that age, they decided to repeat all of the Hancock's Half Hour on the television. And he, and he, he came down and and said, come and watch this, you'll really, really like this son and uh, so I watched this show and I suddenly realized why my dad was the way he was I mean he was so he, he, he was an Irishman but he was sort of a Hancock clone he you know he wore a car coat and a trilby you know and he would say will you get your own work done son you know he, he, he had all of the tropes of Hancock so from that moment on and, and I even at that age I sort of loved Hancock because he's like a big child i guess um and in the great the great manner of of, of uh british uh, comedy characters who are always striving to be better than they are and so i you know i bought all the eps and the lps and um i would listen to them i remember um listening to them under the influence of perhaps a little hashish in the 70s so goodness what we all did then but and just playing them you know back to back then, if, if I may continue with my journey, in 1980, my very good friend Mel Smith, the dear late departed Mel Smith, invited me round to his house and he said, I've got a bit of a treat for us, mate. And I said, what is it? He said, well, we were down in the archives, the BBC, looking to make this documentary for my television company. And um, there was nobody there. So we... All, all of the VHSs were there. I can tell it now he's dead. <laughs> and we recorded a load of Hancocks. And I've got them on VHE completely bootlegged. Of course, it was ridiculous. So I went round to his house and we, we watched, we just marathoned all night, uh, these wonderful episodes that we hadn't seen in 20 years. Of course, after that, they're, they're then, you know, they started coming out in VHS and they, you know, that the whole Hancock thing got going again. 
and you know, I, I have every every VHS or DVD or record going. But those EPs and those LPs kept me going during the seventies with my love of Hancock. Which one was it you liked the best out of those EPs and LPs, Kevin? Because some of them had lots of excerpts on, didn't they? The Blood Donor and the Radio Hand yeah. went out in their entirety. Mm. But the other LPs had various snippets on. And I, I think the sketch that you recreated a few years ago at the uh, REF celebration. The test pilot. What we call the t test pilot sketch. That, I mean, that was one of the ones that was available on EP, single and LP, I think, at one stage. Yes, that's that probably was the first record that i was given was the um the test pilot and and interestingly enough when i started recreating hancock i promised myself that i wouldn't do anything that you could hear hancock doing but when it came to the um 100th anniversary of the raf and my father was in the raf and they asked me to do the test pilot i just went well you know it's live on stage it's not being recorded for television and, you know, it's a, it's a real connection to my dad. And mm. so I gladly went out ridiculously in front of an audience at the Royal Albert Hall and did this, this little radio snippet. But it went down a treat, absolute mm. treat. There's a peculiar knocking sound on the windscreen. <laughs> Seems to be coming from outside the plane. I'm slowing down to 1,800 miles an hour. We'll slide cockpit open to see what's wrong. Good evening. Oh, dear. <laughs> Enough cold out here. Can I come in? What's that? I said, Enough cold out here. Can I come in? There's no room. Get off. Oh, don't be like that. Move over. I'll sit on your lap. Get your boot off me joystick. Do you mind? So that's the only time I've ever publicly performed something that you can hear Hancock do. Who are you? Me? I I'm the mechanic. I was still working on the towel when you took off. Ooh, honestly, frighten the life out of me. I mean, I wasn't expecting it. I was just sitting there singing happily to myself, and then next minute, whoosh, I was up here. Sit still. I can't control the plane with you jumping about. Well, I'm only trying to get comfortable. All these knobs and levers here sticking in me. Here. What's this one? Don't touch it! Oh, it's the ejector seat. Come back, where are you? I'm out here, sitting on the tail! I know, stop messing about. Yeah, it was lovely, and, and that, I think, got released by BBC Audio with one of the missing Hancock sets, or the last missing Hancock set on the download. Did it? It did, yes. Yeah. Oh, I've never heard that. Oh, I'd like to listen to that. Yeah, it's on the, um, I think it's on the Series 4 download. Uh, it's not on the CD. It's not on the CD. They, the rights didn't get cleared in time for the CD, but it is on the download. So. Okay. Uh, well, please, when we finish, please give me a link to that, because I would love to hear it. Obviously, I've not heard it since the day we did it back in, was it 2000? Yeah, we can definitely get uh, get your link for that. Thank you. Alternatively, we can't find it. I'm sure we can relive your bootlegging days and uh, <laughs> send you a VHS in the post or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's been us. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be a 78 RPM record. <laughs> yeah, that's that's more like it.
You know, that's what we should do. We should put all my stuff out on 78. Yeah. <laughs> the old shellac. We could make a fortune. Absolutely. Well, just, I feel it's important to mention that uh, the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society does not officially condone nor endorse bootlegging <laughs> the smoking of marijuana. No, of course they don't. Although we can all probably attest that it's great fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed. That but, might uh, not make the edit. That might not, that might not. But uh, the test pilot sketch, of course, with Robin, our, our lovely announcer, Robin uh, pre-recorded as our announcer reading us in. Oh, lovely. Lovely. And, of course, both your fathers, I think, were in the RAF or involved in the services, weren't they? Well, we found out that night because the, the guy interviewed us who, who ran the evening. He was actually in the army. He wasn't in the RAF. Mm. But, you know, he, he was a great, um, you know, we were both very honoured to be there for the, the RAF's 100th anniversary. Yeah. When you uh, first got involved with recreating the missing Hancocks, it all started with an email from Neil Pearson. And the legend is that you responded with one word. Yes. Is that, is that how it went? Uh, exactly. I was in Richmond, Virginia, shooting a, a show that was set during the Revolutionary War. And I, I used to get up on a Sunday, you know, and I was away from home and stuff. And I'd go for this walk every Sunday morning. And I got this extraordinary long text. Uh, I don't know why he just had to say, do you want to play Hancock, you know? Mm. And um, <laughs> I, I, I just said back, yes. And what was interesting about that is that I had for years before, and, and, and in fact, had commissioned two young writer friends of mine to write a film about Hancock. And I'd got um, Terry Johnson involved and I'd got Mel Smith involved to perhaps produce it and, and for Terry to direct it. And, and it, it never quite came together. And it was only when Neil sent me that text, I realised, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to do a film about the tears behind the clown, about mm. the alcoholic, you know, early suicide man. I want to celebrate his genius. And so suddenly this all fell into place and I went, well, if anybody is going to replace this, um, which is going to be hard, and we didn't know that people would be so kind about it as they were, then I, I would really like it to be me because I felt that it was, you know, in my stars to do it. So I was so pleased that I hadn't done some, you know, shoddy film about, you know, his life. That's not that interesting to us. I mean, it's partially interesting, but what we all love is... Um, members of the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society is the work and the comic genius. So I was very, very happy to do that. Did you have any doubts at all? Well, not at first. <laughs> Neil told me a great story. He, he had this idea because it was the 60th anniversary of the first transmission of anything, not of Hancock's off but anything that Tony had done on the radio. And so he went to the BBC with this idea about, he, he's a collector of, um, of antique books and scripts. And he found these, as you probably all know, he found these scripts that people had, had got and some of them he saw weren't available. So we thought, wouldn't it be good to re-record these with new voices? And at least people could hear that the 20 missing, it turned out to be 21 in the end and one, the counterfeiter that had never been recorded by Hancock. Yeah. So he went to the BBC one cold morning and said he had this idea and they said, well, you know, we love the idea, but we're really not going to okay it until you can come up with a really viable Hancock, you know, that it, it's dependent on that. And so Neil thought, well, um, 
that's going to be a search where, you know, where I'm going to find a Hancock. That night, <laughs> he went to a party and um, Andy Hamilton was there, who's an old friend of mine. Mm. And Andy said, oh, hello, Neil, what are you up to? And, uh, <laughs> and, and Neil said, told him the story and he went, he said, Neil, look no further. Kevin McNally, you can't even stop him doing Hancock, uh, even when he's playing a psychopath. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and so the next day I got the thing in Richmond, Virginia, and it was done in 20, in 48 hours. It was done. Fantastic. And he went back to the BBC. And I think they were so amazed that he'd gotten together so quickly. They said, yes. Give it a go, as it were. Yeah. Give it a go, yeah. It was just a, a, a sort of a pilot series almost of just five episodes that Ray and Alan particularly enjoyed, wasn't it? It was. And we had to we had to sort of have dialogue every mm. season to do them because, as you know, there are constant changes of regime at, in any production or any company like the BBC. And so we had to convince them. And, and of course, the more we did, the more we were like, come on, there's five more. You know, we got to do them. It's not as if it costs that much to do radio. But... In view of your question, Tim, about um, did I have any doubts, I didn't until the night I was standing behind a curtain <laughs> at the radio, uh, the radio recording studios in, in Regent Street, and I heard Neil say, and as the lad himself, Kevin McNally. And I thought, what in blazes am I doing? <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous. I wouldn't want to see anybody else play Hancock. <laughs> Fortunately, that evening, and I'm, I'm sure there were a lot of the paramilitary wing of the uh, Tony Hancock Appreciation <laughs> Society in attendance that night, within seconds or minutes, people were... I think people understood the love with which we were doing it and, mm. and the love that they had listening to things that they couldn't possibly hear. And I know for me, I was absolutely determined that my lifelong love of Hancock, I was pretty certain would come through in terms of, although although vocally and tonally were a little different, I knew that I, I had all of his tropes. That I, you know, there's a lot of people who do impressions do one thing. And and most of them, is, it's like what Mike Yarbrough used to do. Oh dear, oh dear, madam, you know that. But there's many sounds to, to Hancock and there's many subtleties. And, 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 I, and I felt I, I had the basket of them and uh, it, 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 uh, it seemed to work, so... Why have you locked yourself in your room all week? I'm coming to that. For the past several and a half days, I have been giving vent to all the creative histrionic genius that for many years throughout my young life has been burning inside my tortured soul like the very clappers. <laughs> in short, I have been writing. I am now an author. A literateur. I have given birth to a book that will shake the literary world. Won't pass unnoticed in the medical world. <laughs> yes, that's it. Go on, laugh at me. I don't care. They laughed at Puccini. They laughed at Mozart, Bach, Beethoven, Chopin, and all them other great painters. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I didn't get the pleasure of getting uh, tickets for the first one. I Very nearly, but not quite. But I did manage to go to the last one and, and a few in between. Oh, terrific. Uh, one from every series thereafter, and so that was quite nice. Good. And how did you sort of approach sort of taking on the role? As a chap on uh, Facebook, a chap called Gansby Gansby, probably not his real name, uh, who asked what you thought of Galton Simpson's scripts and if you sort of noticed a bit of a hint of that Midlands accent in when you were sort of studying Tony, as it were. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that helped me was that, you know, I was born in Bristol, you know, a coastal town and grew up mm -hmm. in Birmingham, and he 
actually was born in Birmingham and went to a coastal town, Bournemouth. So the, all of the things that are in there are there. But the Birmingham thing is extraordinary. In fact, I, I was filming in Birmingham a number of weeks ago and I... I went on a trip to get a picture by the the Tony Tony Hancock statue, which I hadn't seen before. That was a very emotional moment for me. But there are things that I had to explain to the rest of the cast and Neil of um, things in the script like, uh, oh, just me, Emma. You know, just me, Emma basically comes from the fact that um, a hammer is known as a Birmingham screwdriver. You know, I love that phrase. It's just the thing I need to get this job done. And I remember them all being very, the Santa Claus one, when he's asked to play Santa Claus, he said, I know what he's up to. He wants a bucksy sweep. And um, of course, what that means, and nobody understood what that meant. And I knew what it meant. It means he wanted his flu cheaply swept by having a fat bloke going down it (laughs) in a Santa Claus suit. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing in in his Argo that that isn't part of, you know, a, a, a middle a Millinder growing up. You do a really, really good Hancock, and you were talking earlier, uh, you were saying that for many people doing an impression, they tend to focus on something iconic and... Singular. And use that as a Birmingham screwdriver somewhat. Mm. For you, what gets you into that sort of Hancock voice? Because with many people in accents, there's a phrase or something similar, just to ease them into it? Is there anything in your head that you recite and it turns on? It's a very good question, and we call it a key. Um, yes. In acting. I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing a film at the moment that's a prequel to a very famous 60s film, and I'm playing somebody whose performance you can see, and I have one of his phrases that I use just before I do a take every time. With Hancock, it's... Have you gone raving mad? That's the one. That's the whole cadence of his sound. A pint of you gone raving mad? <laughs> you know, it's not stone me. That's that. That's the that's the low one. It's it's that whole. Um, the other thing that I like to get is is when he gets very lyrical and says, you know, oh, the poor little child. She came to me and I, I kicked it in the face. You know, I mean, you <laughs> stuff. You know, I mean, it's just wonderful. I've been married, famous. Success, money, riches, wealth, <laughs> a star. I'll have a little engine put on my tandem. <laughs> so I have a few of them, depending upon the, you know, or, or back then, depending on the scenes that I had to do. And I imagine um, the other people in the cast had their own, like Robin Sebastian. It must have been a really, really quite fun time making the missing Hancocks. What was the best bit of making those? Because it was a great team of people. It was going out in front of the audience and recording it and then having the great joy in 2015 of of taking four of them to the Edinburgh Festival. I'd never worked at the Edinburgh Festival. And, you know, we tried to make, you know, we would do two one day, two the next. It was an hour and a half of, of fun. And we made it as much like, you know, we would dress, you know, well, we would dress and we had a, a nice old microphone and we made it as much like it would have been going to see a Hancock recording and and we all we didn't even need to talk about it we all stayed in character I mean I was Hancock whether I was reading it or whether I was interrelating with everybody else you know so um that that oh such tremendous fun and I would do it again at the drop of a hat that's that seems a fairly surprising thing for me I mean perhaps it's me Kevin but I always imagine the Edinburgh 
as being like um, sort of young, trendy comics, sort of trying out new material and things, you know. And against that sort of backdrop to go and do the missing Hancocks, you know, although obviously I, I love it myself, I, I, w- I wouldn't have thought it was that sort of uh, thing, but um, clearly it crosses all the boundaries. I had exactly the same feeling, and I was absolutely amazed that we um, <laughs> we obviously creamed off, off everybody of um, a receding and greying hairline who was in uh, that who was in that city at that point because we were packed out the entire time. We could have done it for even longer. You're obviously an officer of considerable experience, Hancock, judging by the metal ribbons on your chest. Oh, the old fruit salad, yes, sir. Mm, what did you get those for? Two bub the lot and half a bar for the coat. Well, you can't grumble at that, can you? Well, no, Captain Hancock. Now, I don't believe you know these two gentlemen. First Lieutenant Kerr. How do you do, sir? Chum. And Petty Officer James. Hello, sailor. We- <laughs> <laughs> I remember going and, and, and speaking at... Um, at the Appreciation Society in Bournemouth and being amazed mm. at how many... that there were a pocket of young people there, mm. you know. Me. You, when something is truly great, probably you, yeah. Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> are you the one flirting with that girl in the <laughs> I'm greying now, I'm greying now. No, so he was yeah. the one flirting with you. <laughs> <laughs> I see. And I watched these shows, and I loved him. And I noticed today, that if I put Hancock in front of children, they, like Laurel and Hardy, they instantly love him. I don't know why that is, but he speaks to their teeth, probably because he's petulant and selfish, <laughs> and appalling and ill-behaved, just the way children are. And what's important for what I felt when I was asked to do this project is as a child, I remember a grumpy maudlin, depressed, 35, oh my God, what an age that is, 35-year-old man, <laughs> railing against society, which is railing against him. What I saw on that night in 1980, as I watched, and I think the first one was Sit in Love. As an actor, I was now an actor, I was now a grown man. I thought that's why we love him. He's depressed, he's angry, but in that he is energetic, enthusiastic, so confident and what a magnificent performer he is. Even in his mistakes, he's wonderful. <laughs> when something is genius and brilliant, it will always find a new audience. And Hancock does find a new audience. I'm only sorry that the BBC has a sort of a policy of not repeating anything in black and white. It's mm. a damn shame because there's there's a pl- there's a place for it, you know. There's the, you know you've got all the Criterion, the the the, 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 the uh, Turner Classic movies. There's a place for that, you know. There's a place mm. for that old stuff. Not only for uh, you know us old farts who want to revisit it, but there are a lot of young people nowadays who, who want to go and visit old rock music, who want to mm. go and visit old clothes, you know, and they want to go visit old television, and they want to go visit old comedy, and I. And I, and I think there's a very short-sighted business model at the BBC at the moment that doesn't allow them to exploit their back catalogue in that way. It is, it is a shame because I think about the only thing you see in black and white that's a comedy series is, is the very first series of Dad's Army. That's about the only yes, thing yes. That, seem, that seems mm. to get an airing. Everything else is... And even then. Yes, not absolutely often. right. And, and, and it's not on, it isn't on very often. No, no not at all. 
talking about uh, the TV side, I know you then, having done the missing Hancocks or a lot of them at that time on the, the radio, recreated then the new neighbour for, for television. So how did it feel finding your, yourself then taking the Hancock character on to, to television, which I, I would imagine was a particular joy to, to get the TV show recreated? Oh, a fantastic joy. I mean, the, the, the one worry I had when he talked about it was that, of course, you know, I nearly... 20 years older than Hancock when he died. And this was a few mm. years ago, so I was maybe 14 years older. But a little bit of a black boot polish on the hair, and, and it was fine. They're all the same. This is the nosiest street in the district. Mrs. Brown at number 12 lying on the floor with a periscope poking over the windowsill. <laughs> and those three old maids living next door to her, they're taking it in turn, shift work. One watching, one making tea, and the other writing poison pen letters. <laughs> I adored doing that, and it was wonderful to. Although I had, I did, of course, when I did it in front of the radio audience and in Edinburgh, I was always trying to be Hancock all the time. So it was a thing doing it physically, but I had always done that in the in the radio recordings and done it in, in Edinburgh. So certainly, my uh, Hancock was not just a voice; I was physically. Him. I made sure I wore hush puppies mm. and a baggy suit and a 50s tie. And I, I wore my dad's watch, actually, which was was really sweet because his watch dated from mm. 1954 when um, Hancock started working on radio and television. So I enjoyed that very much. The sad thing to say is just before lockdown in 2020, a man got in touch with me and said he had a, he's a producer and he had a, an angel, a, a very wealthy man, of a certain age, who wanted to talk to me about privately financing, doing some more of the missing televisions. Mm. Sadly, that got screwed up by COVID, although that's not the worst of what COVID did. But it was, this was bad for me, and it's it's a phone it's another phone call I'm going to have to have soon about seeing if there is a way, you know, if if, if somebody wants to finance something like that, I, I would love mm. to do more of them. And we'd love you to. We would, yeah. Well, thank you very much. Damn that COVID. We, we certainly would. And I, I think there's about uh, there's about the similar number of television episodes that are lost to, to the radio. So, you know, there's a there's certainly a good a good collection to choose from. It's not as many, and they're only from series one and two, but they are they it's a significant number. I I'm not sure what it is, whether it's eleven mm. or twelve, I don't know, but Kevin, was you involved in the decision to choose The New Neighbour as the television episode? No, I don't think so. I think perhaps, I can't, I can't think back now as to why, but I think perhaps they chose it because having recorded the radio show, we knew that it worked really well. Mm. So we, and, and we knew that, and, and Ray and Alan were alive at that time. We knew that they loved the script so much. It was one of the few they took from radio and put on television. Yeah. So it seemed a natural thing that if we were to choose one, mm. we would choose the one that everybody back in the day had had such confidence in. Uh, so I think that was the reasoning, yeah. Of course, it also had Robin Sebastian, Kenneth Williams in as well, which enabled you to bring more of the, the radio Hancock's cast across. 
I'd only just come back from my night beat. Yes, very interesting. Now, this bloke and next door... And before that, I was on traffic duty, and then I had to report all the accidents. What accidents? Well, the ones that happened when I was on traffic duty. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. Honestly, it wasn't. I was doing all right. And then my mum walked by, and I waved to her, and... <laughs> oh, dear, we're not from this up. In two roles, yeah. And, of course, mm -hmm. we had the wonderful Katie Wicks playing Hattie Jakes brilliantly. Come away from the window. It's nothing to do with you. What will the neighbours think if they see you? They won't see me. They're too busy pricing the furniture. Look, all the way down the street, not a curtain in place. And, of course, Kevin Eldon was able to play a different part uh, from Bill yeah. Kerr. Well, did you get the list? Yes. And I don't mind telling you I feel very ashamed of myself. It's not right spying on people. They're entitled to privacy. Don't know why I agreed to do it. Because you're getting half a dollar out of it, Mush. That's why. And, and of course, we got in John Colshaw to give you Sid James, which was uh, just a, a thrill. A thrill. <laughs> Hello, Hancock. Sidney James, what are you doing here? Where's the manager? I'm the manager. I took the business over last week. Always wanted to get into this estate agent racket. And where, pray, is the former owner, Mr Albert Slum? No, it was, a, it was a great recreation. So our listeners, Matthew Lamb and Andrew Peel, have asked if you prefer the radio or the television version of the episode. Well, they're two very different animals. The, the television version was a very singular event that I loved. But the, the radio thing was, was five years of my life, you know, and I, mm. I can remember flying back from Los Angeles and, and hitting the ground and getting in a taxi and going to the recording studio to try to play a paperboy just before they finished uh, so I could be in, in a recording of the ones that they did with Andy Seacombe when Andy was playing his yes. dad in the in in those ones um you know i i would i would do i would do i would get on a plane from los angeles to have a bit part in one of them you know that yeah. it, it was just it was so much a part of my life and uh I, i'm sad it's over and i and i hope perhaps there will be some other incarnation of of this wonderful thing we hope so mm. i mean that, that was great that part because when you played the newspaper seller who came on, of course, you got a massive round of applause and then had to do it again with no one clapping you. That was great. I know. Um, yeah. and, and what was funny was, is we had to re-record it. Because, uh, because I was introduced. I don't know who was it who introduced me. I think it was Simon and said uh, I would come in and go, oh, look, the newspaper granddad. <laughs> <laughs> So it took ages to record that one little bit. Supposing I'd been as stupid as them? Hmm? Uh, England would have been ruined by now. Paper, evening paper, star, news and standard. Read about the sensational robberies, paper. Read all about it. Hey, boy, give us one of each. Here you go, Gav. Here's a diamond. Keep the change. Oh, thank you. <laughs> hey, ha, catch these headlines. Well, you, you, they're very different shows, you were saying, between the radio and the television. And I believe our listeners were wanting to know if you approached if the character and your performance of the character, if that was a different process for you. Well, on the radio, the first thing when I knew I was doing it, although I was already completely immersed in Hancock, I listened to all the tropes and the sounds and the stuff when when the when the tv came i decided i was gonna have to watch all of and i watched all of the hancock episodes because i you know i obviously have them coming out of my wazoo to watch him for movement um that any little movements that you know because a lot a lot of it technically although it's not just a technical exercise is when he does each bit 
what do I do? I guess from what I see, he might have been doing at that point. And mm. even if it's it's not a question of getting it right, we'll never know. Mm. But there were little little things like, particularly when he was striding up and down with his um with his binoculars. You know, the way he walks and the way he's hunched and the mm. way he turns, and the way he gets surprised by people. So I was. I, there is a little technical thing of going, you know, what I, I can't just go through as we talked before about the singular trope of an impression. I can't just go through just being grumpy. There's there's got to be a number of things I've got to find and 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 try to think what 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 would he have done on the day? How would he, he have done this little section? And so there were little things, decisions I made, like when at the beginning of it, when they decide to go, he's going to say, "You've all got to go and do your um your your night watching." that I decided he might do it like an RAF man. Mm. Right, you know, synchronised watches. Uh, good luck, everyone. <laughs> well, there's nothing more we'll find out about him at the moment. Now, I'll make out the rotor for tonight. Synchronised watches. <laughs> Two hours on, four off. You make the cocoa and good luck, chaps. <laughs> you know, that you, you would think, well, I, I'll, yeah. I, I think he might have used that looking at the language. So it, it was a search. But it was a double search uh, on the television because I was looking both at, uh, I was listening for sounds and looking for body postures, movement, you know, the gestures he would have done. Mm. Does that transfer back into the radio? Because um, one of our many, many wonderful fans, of which they're very excited to hear that we'd be having you on the show, one of them, uh, Mr. Michael McGarth Brooks, mentioned that you really capture that rare talent that Hancock had to almost perform physical comedy entirely through his voice, which is quite yes. a unique thing. He captures that physical reaction. No, no, no. It's a very good question because I was aware that one of the many geniuses that Tony had was that he famously left pauses on radio that no one else would take mm. because you, you sort of saw him, you know. Mm. I I tried you know i'm not the genius that hancock was but i think i am a very good channeler of hancock uh, mm. if i may be um so arrogant to say but so i needed to go there as well yeah and of course what the trick is what helps is that you're being helped in that by the fact that there is a studio audience watching you so their little waves of comedy are almost saying to the radio audience He's being really funny at the moment. You can't see it, but the audience is telling you he is. Yeah. So there was a lot of, you know, I, I, I sort of sussed that that was the, the, the practical thing I could do, you know. I would never mm. be the genius Hancock was, but I could use his tricks, as it were. Now, let's have a look. What have they got that I haven't? <laughs> Practically everything. <laughs> All right, well, never mind about that. Just read out the list. Well... There were two crates of crockery, lino, carpets, coal scuttle, curtains. Coal scuttle? Yes. That means they have coal. <laughs> yes. Well, thank goodness for that. I thought we were going to have to chop down another telegraph pole this winter. <laughs> what else have they got? Tables, chairs, a radiogram, a lawnmower. Lawnmower? Mmm. Give them a couple of days to settle in, we'll have that. <laughs> that was the first part of our cosy chat with Kevin McNally. Tune in for part two in a fortnight. Why not join the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society today? You can find us at tonyhancock.org.uk for all the information on how to join. 
For just £13 a year, you'll have access to the members area of our website and receive four magazines a year by email packed with information on Tony, his shows and archive material. We're relaunching our magazine in July, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on Hancock History with a first edition print of The Missing Page when we make the glorious transition to full colour. Members also get a digital-only bonus pages supplement every quarter, plus occasional special editions on a single theme. Or you can have The Missing Page posted to your door for just £16 a year in the UK or £26 worldwide. And we're a friendly and welcoming bunch, so please do join. We have reunion events with archive displays and Zoom quiz nights. Please get in touch. We love questions and conundrums, compliments and feedback. And to do so is very easy, so send your emails to podcast.tonyhancock.org.uk Keep an eye on our Twitter accounts for all the latest news on the podcast and all things Hancock. Our three Twitter accounts are East Team Lad, Tony Hancock Appreciation Society and Very Nearly an Armful. For now, that's Very Nearly an Armful, so I'll say ta-ta. It's sayonara from me. Chickadee snitch. And this is GLK London signing off for a quick cough and a drag. And if you uh, if you like your incinerator, Tim, don't forget to throw a few members of the government in there as well, eh? He's got half the government in there! He's a raving lunatic! <laughs> Oh, I don't know, though. Perhaps he knows what he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) This has been an official podcast of the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society. Unfortunately, it was not written by Alan Simpson and Ray Gordon, whoever they are. The announcer was me, Robin Sebastian, currently appearing in the saloon bar of the Hendon Racket. I'm going to go, you see, I'm not, I'm glad I'm not filming tomorrow because I'm going to be up till three in the morning listening to Tony Hancock now.